it's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. From roommates to co-hosts, this is The Back Check with Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. Your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the puck. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. What's up, everybody? It's Back Check Time, episode 23. We got a good one today. Special guest Vince Pedri is joining the show. Pre-recorded interview will be played around 6.30, so you don't want to miss that. Played in Hartford for the Wolfpack. A couple of good stories he tells us about his time there with a lot of memorable names, especially for Rangers fans. He's going to talk about NXT Sports Group, his agency. Really cool things that they're doing there, especially the new look that they're taking on it, so don't miss that interview. Stefan, what's good, buddy? I'm great. You know who's not great? A referee in the NHL because, oh, my God, today the camera <laughs> thing. <sighs> Let's just get right into it, shall we? So referee said something not so not so nice on a hot mic. And oh, grow up, everybody. They fix calls all the time. Okay, so let's give the gist of what happened. So Nashville wins a game against Detroit 2-0. At the end of the first period, it was getting a little, little scrappy. Nashville was close to going over that, that fine line of, okay, maybe this game's going to get out of hand. A call was not made. Uh, midway through the second period, I think with about 12 minutes left, Peel gets caught not turning his mic off. And this is what he says, caught on broadcast for the world to hear. It wasn't much, but I wanted to get an effing penalty against Nashville earlier. This is after him making a call that was a borderline call that probably didn't need to be made, but that's what he says. Okay, so that happens. And today, the NHL announced that he has been fired. But, Brendan, we, we found out later that it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. No, he was retiring at the end of the year anyway. So this is just the NHL's way of saying, let's make it look like we're taking care of a problem. Get out the door. The real way they should have handled it is say, hey, referees, call the game by the rule book, not by makeup calls, which is something that happens whether you're eight years old playing might hockey or you are in the NHL. It's a thing in hockey. So I don't understand why just because he got caught saying it, every single ref does it, Right. He wasn't saying, oh, my God, I have money on the game. I got to call Nashville for a penalty. He was doing a makeup call. So eh, whatever. It's it's a BS thing. Should it have resulted in this? No. Maybe some supplemental discipline. But firing is a little extreme. So, yeah, I agree. Fire is extreme. And I think the biggest issue here is the fact that the whole world, the whole NHL landscape heard this. And I think the biggest thing is that put a lot of pressure on the NHL to deal with it. Because you take the quote as it is. Integrity issue. <laughs> when one of your officials, long-term officials, makes a statement like this that everybody hears, one, this game, you know, I have to watch and say, okay, was this game called unfairly? And two, all the games he's called in the past, do we have to now question the result? Now, we're not going to do that because it's hockey. As a ref, your job is to, yes, call call the penalties you see, but also keep the game in check. When I, you know, we've all, I've refed, you know, any ref could tell you that when you're being trained, it's, Keep the game in control. If you see something early, call it in the first five minutes, six minutes, because if you call a, a bad hit or a bad thing early, you're probably not going to see it happen as the game goes on. Players are going to realize, okay, if I do this, I'll get a penalty. Problem was, it wasn't called early. So now when you call it late, this, we see this a lot in the regular season and in the playoffs where things are let go in the regular season. They happen in the playoffs, and now you see the call. No consistency there. So the biggest thing is call the plays early. That way you were... You know, it doesn't happen later on in the game. That didn't happen. He made a makeup call here. But when you look at it, you get that quote. I have to make a call against the effing, you know, Predators because this and that. You hear that he made this call because he wanted to keep this game from getting out of control, which is the right thing to do. Now, does his quote make – wait. Okay, not the right thing to do. It, it's his job is to keep the game in check. Now, should he have made the call that he called, the tripping call? No, it wasn't. It was not even close to really a bad penalty at all. But he made the call because he thought 
you know, he owed the call and he wanted to keep the game in check. I have no problem with keeping the game in check, but first off, learn how to turn your mic off. You've been around forever. <laughs> it's one button. Figure it out. And you just new technology is hard for some people. But you just can't be saying like, even if that's not what he meant, that's what he said. And Brendan, we talked earlier about press conferences, and you made a great point. So I'll let you make it here. They should have the refs have press conferences. You know how many times I wanted to look at a ref and say, how the hell did you not see that trip? Or how did you miss this call? Or what, what would, you, would you see on the replay that led to you saying it wasn't offsides when it clearly was, or it wasn't a goal when the glove's clearly in the net? Like, just let us get that insight to cl- and the clarification on it. How many times have you watched a game, right, where there's a, a review on a goal, where the goalie makes the save, but you could tell the puck's in the net, but it's not visible, right? Why? is it, Are you calling it no goal because you literally couldn't see the puck, even though everyone and their mother knows it's in the net? Or are you calling it because you saw that it wasn't in the net? Like, I would like to get that insight just to see how many of these calls are actually made based on the ruling of it has to be clear and concise evidence. And you can get bad calls. They're going to happen in every single game. But They're ref, human. If a ref after the game goes, I saw this, that's it. There's no argument because it doesn't matter what you saw. You're seeing it from TV or wherever you're standing. They're seeing it in the speed of the game. If they said, Correct. let's say the trip yesterday wasn't good, and they interviewed him after the game and said, how, did, how could you have made that call? All he has to say was, from what I saw, his stick was between his legs. That's it. It doesn't matter what a fan thought or what a team thought. He is calling the game based on what he sees. You get that press conference out of the way after the game last night. Let's say he said what he said. If he explained, listen, the game was getting out of hand at the end of the first. We did not do a good enough job as referees of controlling the game. In the second period, we wanted to make sure we got a penalty called early. That way we would make sure the game didn't get out of hand. On this particular play. Yeah, but if a game's getting out of hand, you don't call a trip. Well, again, though. <laughs> That's but if the thing. You, if they had said, how could you have called that? All, the, all that PL had to say was, from my vantage point, it wasn't a lot, but I saw his stick between the legs, and we saw, let's say, we saw close trips near the boards that we wanted to avoid. I'm calling this here in order to set a standard for the rest of the game that that kind of play, whether it's a close, uh, quick trip or not that bad, we want to get that out of the game. We don't want to see it for the rest of the game. That's why I made the call. I guarantee he probably still the job. Does he get suspended? Yes, but I think the fact that this was blown out of portion the way it was, the integrity thing, the live mic on national television, they were pressured into saying, look at the image now that the NHL has that integrity is being, is being questioned. We have to make a statement, and they did. I play Chell all the time. The refs miss calls in that game, and they're automated. So we can't expect the real human refs to get, uh, to get everything right. And this is an instance where if he didn't say anything, he'll have a job, even though we know fixing happens all the time. But we just got a comment from our buddy Isle Sign guy that says, Brendan, are you willing to concede that King Henry has been dethroned by Islanders goalie Soroking? Uh, great guy, great guest. Absolutely not. He's miles and miles and miles away. He's not even better than Chesterkin yet. I don't care how many Islanders fans want to come at my head. If you put Chesterkin behind that Islanders defense, look at his numbers, okay? He's doing this on a team that last year was terrible, went 10-2, and two, and now his numbers are 6-7-1. and one. Sure, he's not above 500, but he's in the categories, the top of every single category when it comes to the advanced analytics for goaltenders. So let's all calm down. Sorokin's looked very good. He had his best game of the season against the Flyers, but hasn't really been tested outside of that. So good goalie, nowhere near Henrik Lundqvist. God. Mr. Dowd, love you. Awesome guy. Great interview, all that. Let's have this conversation in about 12 years. And look at the numbers. 15. 15. Okay, well, Pat, if you remind me in 15 years, 12 years, whenever you do, just in the near future, let's talk about it. Let's let's see him at least get through the next couple of seasons. because I, we- I want to have a conversation with a sane Islanders fan, somebody that is an Islanders fan that doesn't have bias. Okay. And you tell me if you oh, take for, the- whoa, 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 whoa. First off, you want, to have a, you want to have a conversation with an Islander fan that doesn't have bias. Every – Islander fans biased a little bit, but let's let's try it. Every every have? fan's biased in their own way, but I'm talking about the people that can have an actual discussion. Okay, let's do okay. It. Henrik Lundqvist. Yes. If his career had the team that the Islanders have right now, what do you have won a cup? Hundred percent. Okay, I'd agree. And I don't. I one cup might have maybe a couple. Look at the look at the Islanders' last couple of years. It really hasn't been goaltending that's failed them at all. It's been just the inability to come through in big moments, you know, scoring goals. But you look back and Lundqvist has played hero in how many games, even in the playoffs, right? Well, that's my thing, yeah. 
he makes that extra save. Now, Varlama has been great. He was great in last year's playoffs. Leonard was great. Grice is great. But when it came down to like that big save where make or break for a game, like go back to a couple years ago when they were playing the Hurricanes, the Islanders, they get eliminated. I think they lose the last game 2 nothing, and it was two goals in about a minute-something stretch. One of them was weak, and we, we even saw in college when they got blown out in that last game or whatever it was. You know, those, those two saves he could have made in that minute and a half, and the Islanders find a way to win that game, you know, could Lundqvist have made that save? Now, I'm not going to play that because we're not in that situation, but I do, Lundqvist, if he had the defense he had, yeah, I think on the Islanders, he does win a cup. And it just goes to show about how good Lundqvist had, but see, the thing is the thing, Lundqvist has had to be that good given the group in front of him. You look at these Islanders goalies, right? You put Lundqvist in front of it, he's not nearly facing as many shots, as many desperation saves. He's more compact, and I'll also throw out there that he would have won cups and would have been able to play, I think, longer. If he keeps this, if this defense was in front of him for 10-plus years, right? The stress, you know, all of that that Lundqvist had to go through. Now, they had They had some good defenses in front oh, of them. Oh, they did. But I think that when you're looking at the Rangers teams that went, to the cup yeah. and went to the Eastern Conference Finals three straight yeah. years, right? Those teams were built similar to the Islanders, where it was defensive first. They didn't have much scoring. Uh, they didn't have any big names up front. The big name that they had and they acquired was Rick Nash, and he was uh, just he evaporated in the postseason. So you're looking at those teams, and they're very similar. And the one difference is Trotz and Trotz's system. Now, if you put Trotz on that Rangers team that went to the cup and said, here you go, Lundqvist has a cup because their defensive structure, as good as it was, would have been tighter even against the Kings. So that's why I think if you switch roles and you take Lundqvist and put him on this Islanders team, like you said, the goaltenders that the Islanders have had, and Leonard, Varlamov, all these guys, Sorokin now, have done their job and they've been very good. And Sorokin's the guy of the future, and I think that he's going to be exceptional. But you put Lundqvist on this team in his prime, and all of a sudden you're talking about saves that you know have gone in on Varlamov, shots that have gone in where you're like, oh, that's a shaky one. Those never went in when they were going to the Cup. And even if he had one of those go in, he would not allow the goal the rest of the game. That's how good he was. So now look back to uh, – we're talking about Lundqvist in his prime, correct? I mean, you could talk – his prime okay. was 10 years. So even if Lundqvist is in his prime last year and the Islanders go up against the Lightning, I don't think they win that series because it wasn't the goaltending and defense that was an issue. Well, if you want to say defense, it's just the fact that the Lightning uh, threw in big moments, the Islanders could not score. doesn't matter if you I, have – Brodeur back there. But if you have Brodeur back there, I've seen seen this guy steal so many games where you're looking at it where the games that they lost, they lost 2-1 in double OT in the the game six, right? Or was it 3-2? You're talking about the Kucherov with 8.8 seconds left? No, no, I'm talking about the Sorelli game winner. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows if Tampa even scores that game? That went off of Varlamov and in. Uh, that's there. It's it like bank, those though. are the narrow things. And listen, I've watched Lundqvist got lit up by JG Pajot in that Ottawa series in uh, that one that. game. And I mean, that happens, right? That was one of the games in his career where you're watching in the playoffs and you go, Lundqvist, you got to stop that last one in OT. It went through his legs. And if he stops that, who knows? We might be talking about the Rangers being the Stanley Cup champions that year because I really think that that team was better than the year before and they had an easier road to the cup. Um, but it never happens like that, right? It's always hindsight's twenty twenty. So it's an interesting conversation. But before we get into the Rangers and Islanders, I want to just talk about something that I thought was funny. So the Flyers, Chuck Fletcher is their GM, right? Yeah. And he said, I've made many, many calls. I've been much more aggressive, I think, than a lot of people just looking at different options. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of teams out there willing to take on dollars and term at this point in time. There, are, there seem to be more teams looking to move some pieces rather than take on pieces for various reasons. Uh, probably because of the flat cat buddy. And they're in a situation right now <laughs> where they're 4-8-1 and one in their they're last terrible. 13. They're terrible on all facets of the game right now. And they have a game on Thursday, tomorrow, where they play the New York Rangers. If the Rangers beat them, the Rangers move ahead of them into fifth place. And now you're really looking at a season for the Flyers where you're like, what the heck just happened? And I think that tomorrow will be the tone setter of whether the Rangers are ready to make that push for a spot, not saying get there, but make a push or the flyers are going to say, what the heck is going on here, guys? And you got your veteran leaders step up and say, we beat the Rangers today and we start to make that push. Whoever wins that game tomorrow is going to be that team that pushes. So based on Fletcher's quote, 
it seems like he's selling. No, he said he's not selling. But he just said that teams aren't willing to take on because he, he's trying to move, so they're looking to oh, yes, obviously yeah. to figure out. But you know. here, I'll read the first part of the quote. We're okay. certainly not selling at all right now. Okay, there you go. I, I would say to you in my calls with managers around the league. First of all, I've received very few. It's been really quiet in terms of receiving calls. So he's telling people they're not selling, but nobody's calling him because what are you going to ask the Flyers for? If we're being realistic, like if they're taking on, are you going to? They don't have really prospects pulled that deep or players not, that you want right now or picks not, the players that other teams want are not up for grabs like Farabee like they, he's just not being traded it's just not happening now maybe maybe a Nolan Patrick goes somewhere well I was thinking Glasses Bear because yeah, he's, he's been a scratch yeah. but now but he's played the last couple so are they playing him for the reason to get you know eyes on him potentially but if I mean the Flyers if it wasn't for the Sabres and the terrible year the Sabres have had. The Flyers are finishing the season in last place unless they turn it around. Now, we saw last year. They are more than capable of doing so. They did it last year. They won an yep. absolute tear. We had the hiatus. They came back and won the round robin, which, by the way, on record, I did say they would win. Somehow they'd find a way to win it. But we're seeing the same Yeah, they look like poopy after that. We're seeing the same team we saw them, in, saw them play like in the bubble. They played the Islanders. Didn't play particularly well. Their defense showed flaws. Hart wasn't as brilliant as he was during that stretch in the regular season. I think our standard for what we think Hart is was magnified severely based on his play against the Islanders in the series and all that kind of stuff. Ooh. You want to hear what Bob McKenzie just said about Tim Peel? What? He said, it's my understanding, and if you read the release, Tim Peel's not being fired. He'll continue to be paid. His pension is still intact. I don't get the sense there's any significant appetite on the NHL's part to change policy on how games are officiated. So nothing happened. He's just not roughing a game. And like we talked about, they're sending him into retirement. I was going to say that somebody who's of Tim Peel's stature in officiating, who has refed over 25 years, I think it is, it would be really, really hard to look at him and fire him and take away that pension and his pay for the rest of the season. That's why, even though this might be bad, right? It might sound bad. You got to just suspend him for a little bit for the rest of the season and let him retire. But you can't take away the guy's pension and all that things. He's done 25 years of service to your league. That's like you doing any job and you're about like a month or two away from retirement. And they go, yeah, we're cutting people and we're going to cut you. It's like you put in the time and effort. You've been a loyal, you know, loyal worker, which Peel has been. We haven't heard much of any issues besides Brendan one that happened in 2015 when he was removed from a game, uh, roughing the New Jersey devils because he had met with a reporter and was, uh, photographed drinking with, uh, ESPN's Greg Wyshynski, the writer of the guy that wrote the article about him being fired now with Yahoo, I think. Oh, Yahoo. Really? Or maybe yeah. he switched the other way around. I know he was with Yahoo for a while. Yeah, he's with, definitely with ESPN. Cause he's talked about how much he's excited for ESPN to go back. But, you know, I have a problem with taking quotes and not putting the full quote in there, which is what ESPN did, and I get it. It makes it look worse than it is. But, you know, they explain this quote, and it didn't get better when everything was explained about it. So we do have another question. Which You started well, with Yahoo. You did start with Yahoo. All right. Let's get to this question now, again, by Alison Guy. Thank you all for the comments. We appreciate it. If the Islanders make a big trade to add a prolific goal scorer, how far do they go in the playoffs? Uh, I would say very far because one thing this team is looking for and needs right now, especially with Lee out, is someone that knows how to put the puck in the net when Barzal gets him the puck or just by himself creating. The problem is that when you run up against the teams like the Lightning, are those is the player you bring in clutch enough to, when given a small opportunity, a small window, a small shooting lane, get the job done? Because we've seen guys like Brock Nelson. We saw last year with the breakaway. You know, he, he hasn't scored – when it like in those big moments, you've seen it this year. He's in the slot, he gets all alone, misses the net. Now you're gonna bring in a player. If that player could come in and not just score for the regular season, but come up clutch, that's what it, the biggest thing for the honors have been. They've had guys that scored in the regular season, and then the playoffs, it's you can't score. Jordan Eberly, perfect example last year. He was solid during the regular season and in the playoffs, could not bury he'd get the puck on his stick in prime chances, wide open net, fail. Fail, fail, fail. He finally scored in overtime in a big game during the um, it was a Flyer series, and he finally comes through. Finally, yeah, the question it. is, who do you move? Oh, excuse me, it was, like, against, was it? It was against the Tampa or the Flyers when he came through. I think it might have been. 
I don't know. I stopped watching. Yeah, it's been so long ago. Anyway, it feels like it feels like years ago. But he finally came through. And you look at let's say you bring in a guy like Hall. I'm just making it up. Don't even know if I want him because I don't think he plays the system well. But a guy like Taylor Hall gets in a breakaway in the playoffs. He doesn't score. He hates breakaways. No, I'm that was a bad example. Fine. (laughs) Whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. Philip Forsberg. Philip Forsberg. Gets on an odd man rush and he doesn't pass. He looks to shoot. You tr- and he buries. That's what you're looking for. Guys that make the most of the opportunities. Okay? Can we talk about something before we, we get on a tangent here? Sure. Ryan Strom has more points than Matt Barzal in less games. I'm so proud of him. I really am. Ryan Strom's a better player. Who's his winger? It don't doesn't work Who's- this year. Doesn't work this year. Panarin was out for two and a half yeah, weeks. And when Panarin's come back. How is Strom? Has no, Strom was better when Panarin was out. I don't any okay, Islanders fan was, that's going to say this. No, it doesn't work this year. Strom had over ten points in those five, six, seven games, whatever okay, it was. Wait, let me ask you that. Uh, better on. than Barzal. Let me ask you this. So, Strom is in the lineup. Panarin's not. Has Strom still played well when Panarin's been in the lineup? Of, of, you, of course. Wait, wait. So, who else is on his line? It's rotated. It was okay. Blackwell. Kako got on it with like okay. two minutes left in the second the other day. So Panarin's been back and Strom still played well, correct? This is what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. When Barzal's in the rink right now, minus Andersley not being there, where are the eyes? Where is the defense paying attention to? On Barzal, of course. Okay. When Panarin's on the ice with Strom now that he's back and he's still playing, Strom's still playing well, which I'm crediting him for. Yep. Where are the eyes on the on the ice when he's on the his lines on the rink? But I'm saying this argument's invalid because right. when the eyes were on him, he still produced. No, and I, if you're going to tell me one is viewed as a superstar and the other one's not, okay. First off, on the record, I don't view I don't think Barzal is a superstar yet. All right, fair. That's my take. But I'm going right. to say though, right now when Barzal's on the rink, and we'll get to the stats with him without Lee. When Barzal's on the rink right now, I believe has not scored on any chances, and Leo Komarov. You might as well not guard him because you know, you know who should be in Komarov's spot. I know Oliver Wallstrom. I know. Yeah, Which, yeah, that okay. guy. No, I don't agree. But anyway, that guy. But Barzal goes on the rink now, and the defenseman goes, oh, "See the guy on his wing? Yeah, don't, don't even worry about them." And Barzal's gotten frustrated. Barzal, the amount of times <clears throat> that Barzal has set up Leo Komarov not for just tappings for wide open opportunities, and he hasn't scored. Nothing hasn't gotten great shots off but has not scored. Pisses me off. And you can see Barzal's frust. It doesn't matter what to piss me off. It's Komarov's job. The frustration level that you're seeing Barzal have, and I'm shocked he hasn't taken that many penalties since Komarov's been in the lineup because it is tough. When you set up a guy like a Leo Komarov, who clearly doesn't have the goal-scoring prowess that a Wallstrom has, that a Lee has, that pretty much any other player in this league will have. I read there with Matt Martin on that top line because he's shown that he could bury here and there. Now, obviously, we're not moving Matt Martin off that that line, but the question that Komarov remains on that line, and he's played the last couple of games, instead of Bellos, who I understand, he struggled. I don't think Trotz likes him that much, and I don't know if we'll see Bellos again. He might get He's one of those pieces that you, you're, you're thinking goes the other way in a trade, whether it's for Dustin Brown and Eric Stoll or Taylor Hall or Forsberg. He's probably going the other way because Wallstrom's untouchable. But we, as you're saying, Strom, you know, you can compare the stats. I compared a stat of Wallstrom and Kaprasov the other day, and it was it was liked by a lot, but I don't know how many people actually enjoy it. <laughs> no, it's obviously I know that Barzal is a better player. I no. just – I thoroughly enjoy the fact that it's been this close over the last two seasons. I think they're separated by a point, or they might even be tied right now. But, la- but see, last year, if you're getting into that, last year you, you have to credit that he was playing alongside Panarin. No, okay, so last year, that was the thing. He's playing yeah. alongside Panarin, but he proved this year that he can just produce. I don't, I don't know if there's, I, if there's a certain confidence that he has since coming back to New York where he's realized, but he's produced at a very good rate for the Rangers. And listen, Artemi Panarin's come back in the lineup, and the Rangers just became a new team. I mean, this guy is unreal. He, he just a beat. Skip he, a beat or anything. Because he plays a game that translates to you can take as much time off and be fine because we talked about how he doesn't move his feet. He's you look at somebody like a McKinnon who's buzzing, 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 a Barzal who's ha- – he plays with speed, so much speed. When they miss two weeks, it might take them a couple of games to get their legs back under him, which is normal. 
Panarin doesn't play with that speed. He plays with the slow pick you apart kind of thing. So all his instincts take over and it's crazy to watch. So well, do you want, before we go into the interview, do you want to talk Islanders or Rangers? Uh, let's talk Islanders. Why not? We got okay, some big, big news it. on the day is Noah Dobson is off the COVID list, but he will not travel with the club. They're in Boston. Then they play the Penguins and they come home against the Capitals next Thursday. It sounds like Trotz doesn't want him to just jump back into lineup. The good news is Thomas Hickey's been in his place and has played well. Not in his place exactly, but he's playing on the, on the third defensive pairing with Mayfield. Green swapped, and he's on the second line with Letty. But I think, I think it's smart. If Let's say Hickey came into the lineup after Ajo struggled and Hickey was terrible. Now you're more pressured to get Dobson back in right away. But the fact that there's trust in Hickey to stay there at least until Dobson come back Quite frankly, I think you should take Mayfield's spot because Mayfield's been downright terrible, but not going to happen. Now you have the luxury of giving Dobson a chance. Like you said, a guy like Panarin comes into the lineup. and doesn't need that two or three days conditioning. But again, Panarin was out for a while. He did get that opportunity to relax and then come in. But a guy like Dobson who's playing on the power play in big minutes as a defenseman, I think it takes a little bit more time to get back into it, practice a little bit. So we'll see how it goes. Dobson should be back in next Thursday. The Islanders were supposed to play the Bruins Yes, on Tuesday. Game was postponed due to COVID concerns with the Bruins. But today, off the list, off the NHL list, is David Pasternak, David Krejci, and Craig Smith. Jake DeBrusque and Sean Corrali remain on the list. Now, it's not clear if those players off the list will play tomorrow. I have a feeling they will. But, I mean, the Islanders have dominated the Bruins this season. I expect it to continue. This but, is a, that's a great segue to my declaration that I wanted to make. Oh, yes, yes. Give us your declaration. Okay, my declaration is that for the – Remaining portion of this season, outside of the five games they play against the Rangers, I am a huge Islanders fan. Let's go Islanders, baby. If they could beat the Bruins and somehow go 7-1 and one against them this year, huge for the Rangers. If they could beat up the Caps, huge for the Rangers. If they could beat the Penguins, huge for the Rangers. So let's go Islanders against every team not named the Rangers. I will be wearing blue, not orange, because... What an ugly color, but let's go Islanders, baby. So I have a Mike Comrie, a Bill Guerin, a Barzal, and a Poso jersey. Which one do you want to borrow? Uh, Guerin. Bill Guerin, I'll send it to you. Let's go. Bill Guerin's a great dude. I love him. When, I mean, awesome captain, awesome person. Now he's doing great things with the Wild. But to go back to the Flyer series, the Islanders take the final two games of the three-game set. And it wasn't pretty for some of it, but they found a way like they've done all year. Sorokin, the last two games, has started. First time in any career that he gets consecutive starts. Hear this stat. He started off the season 0-2-1 with a 3.65 goals against average. Over his last eight games, which, by the way, I've worn his jersey since then because I got it as a Valentine's gift. Thank you, Alyssa, for the gift. Anyway, they are 8-0-0 over his last eight games, and he has a 1.38 goals against average. Now, I know you're going to say, well, who has he played? Well, guess what? It doesn't matter because... I didn't say it. I know. I said it, I guess, for you. My apologies. But anyway... He's been phenomenal. He stopped 36 of 37 last game. By far, thank you, Alyssa, yes, by far his best game at the NHL level. He made so many unreal saves. First, the Islanders went down one nothing. They were losing. And after it, it just a deflection off a skate in front, Limholm got a skate on it. Unfortunate because he had been playing so well. Wallstrom, as he's done all year, was clutch, tied the game up in the third. Islanders find a way to get an overtime. Bavillier wraparound. He's got two goals in his last two games playing on Pajot's line. It helps when Brian Elliott decides to take a nap. Well, they they embarrassed uh, Carter Hart the game prior. So, Everyone does. Yeah, it's just, he's in a walking embarrassment at this point. But, you know, Sorokin's been unreal over the last two games. Last game, best game by far at the NHL level. And, you know, the Islanders right now are in the first place in the NHL in goals against per game. They're at 2.18. So I looked back at their Jennings winning season in 2018-2019. 2.33 goals against per game won them that. So you're seeing a little discrepancy this season now. I think all the numbers are obviously different. I think the goals, the amount of goals per game isn't as high. I didn't do that much research, but it's cool to see that, you know, there's, a, there's a definitely a disparity between that year and this year. But the, the last thing I want to talk about is, Oliver Wallstrom has been phenomenal. He's got eight goals, seven assists, six points in his last six games, and he's averaging 11 minutes and 44 minutes per game. He has made the most of his chances. Now, we talked about it. We, we, we talked about it that, you know, you can't call the third line the third line anymore. You didn't even hear what you just said. What I said? 
He's averaging 11 minutes and 44 minutes a game. 11 minutes, 44 seconds. That's a ton of ice time for him. That's a ton of ice time. That's 55 minutes a game. All right, Brendan, fine, fine. I can't speak. (laughs) Fine. The point is, limited minutes equaling success. Now, we can talk all I want, but we take too too much time about, well, if you played on the first line, it's just not going to happen. They're not going to separate that line. But what we're seeing from Wallstrom has been, it it really has changed the mindset of Islander fans and the organization because – you know, you want to get a guy like Taylor Hall. It definitely helps your club. But you have a sniper, a homegrown sniper that you haven't had in a very long – even John Tavares is not a homegrown sniper. He's a good offensive player. You, you have a guy that now doesn't hesitate when he shoots, pinpoints his shot, and his scoring goal doesn't matter if it's in the slot, rebound goals. He's scoring goals, score goals. And this is what the Islanders team has needed. Now, the issue is what we talked about earlier, Barzal. No goals in his last nine games. His last goal was against the Sabres, that between-the-leg beauty on my birthday. Since then, nada. Three assists over his last nine games, and since Lee has been out of the lineup, including the game that Lee got hurt in, he's got two assists in seven games. That's rough. And I think what the Islanders are doing now is, Barzal, survive with Komarov, Bellows on your line, whoever it's going to be, until we get you that. Because let's say you bring in a guy like Dustin Brown or Eric Stahl. It doesn't have to be superstar. He's playing on that top line because those players play similarly to what the type of style and game that Lee brings. Well, what do you want to say, Brendan? I was just getting ready to segue to our interview. All right. So that's, that's all the Islanders talk we have. Obviously they're in a great spot. They're in first place. They do have games in hand, especially on Boston. I think they have four or five games on hand there, but Islanders are a good spot. They play the Bruins tomorrow night. And if they can pull out a win there, COVID players playing or not, this will be big for the Islanders going on to their, their stretch against the Penguins. It will be. And we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to have our interview with Vince Pedri, uh, Pedri, excuse me, and we will talk about the Rangers after that. I will let Stefan finish with some Islanders talk right before the end of the show because I know that he has some other things to get off his chest, and I will continue to roast him for Ryan Strom being better than Matt Barzal. So don't go anywhere. We'll see you in a minute. Hey everybody, it's Brendan here. Do you have old jerseys? What about old hockey equipment? Rather than throw these items out, our friends over at Ultranite would love to have them. This nonprofit converts jerseys into reusable face masks. The same face mask the New York Rangers wore in the bubble this past postseason. The old equipment you donate will be given to less fortunate children throughout the state. It doesn't matter what team you root for. Let's all come together to make a difference and grow the sport of hockey. To learn more, head to Ultranite.com. That's altronite.com. Hey guys, Stefan here. Each night on Long Island, 180,000 residents will go hungry, 39% of which are kids who have no ability to control their situation. Our friends over at Long Island Hockey Co. are trying to help as many families as possible. Each hat sold on their website will provide 50 meals for food insecure Long Islanders. Head to LongIslandHockeyCo.com and let's help the people in our community. Ready for this interview? Oh, I am. All right. Well, you're frozen, but let's get to this interview, shall we? Here we go. Joining the show now is Vince Pedri, former Ranger and now owner of NXT Sports Group. Vince, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Good. So we'll get right into it. As a former player, um, how does you know that life give you insight into becoming a, a good sports agent? Um, yeah, so it all kind of happened uh, organically. So when I retired, uh, I started working for, for my old agent. And you know, my job at the time was to kind of go out and uh, you know stay in touch with guys I'd played with to see if they'd have interest in switching agents. And um, you know, I kind of found a little niche in that and, uh, you know, in the process of making a few calls, I had, I had called my business partner, uh, now actually, and to, to see if he'd have any interest. And, um, he brought up the idea of starting our own and, um, you know, one thing kind of led to another and, and here we are. Um, so it was, it was kind of a long process that, uh, took many months to, to get started, but, uh, it's been, been a lot of fun. Oh, that's awesome to hear. And I like, we're going to talk about later on, you know, that player agent connection is always vital and I'm sure that definitely helps, but going back to your, your playing days. Now you played at Penn state, 
Penn State's obviously a huge school known for their athletic program. So what was it like being part of that program and any good stories that you got from, from your time there? Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. Uh, you know, I think I knew I wanted to commit there before even visiting campus. And, um, you know, once I got on campus, it was, uh, it was a no brainer. So, um, I mean, everything that they have to offer between the academics, um, and the athletics and the facilities, like it was, uh, it was, it was unbelievable. Um, you know, some of my, my best memories were there and, um, you know, I'd go back in the, in the summers to, to train there even after I had been playing pro and, um, you know, so I was, I was a little bit older running around with the younger guys, but, uh, it was a lot of fun. So when did it hit you as a pro athlete that maybe it was time to think about life after playing? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I was, I was somewhat realistic with myself, right? Like I, I was going into my third year in the American league and I was on an American league deal, um, you know, and I just kind of, I felt like my, my window to, you know, become an established NHL player had passed. And, you know, I, I didn't want to be, I guess, the guy who played, you know, 10 or 15 years in the American League. And not that there's anything wrong with that. A lot of guys do that. They make a great living. Um, you know, but I left a school like like Penn State that has, you know, great academics to, to play in the NHL. And, um, you know, that just, uh, I don't know if that wasn't in the cards for me or not, but, uh Nonetheless, I uh, you know, wanted to, you know, retire and, and finish my degree and, um, you know, kind of start the, the next chapter of life at, you know, 26 rather than 36. Yeah, I completely understand that. Did you actually go back and finish your degree while you were playing or is that something you did post-career? Um, so a couple of different things like, you know, when when I left, I left after my sophomore year. Um, you know, so I didn't take any classes for about a year and a half. And then I started taking some classes online while I was playing. And then, like I said, I'd go back in the summer and take a summer class or two, um, you know, and I've been taking classes since. So after this semester, I'll have 22 credits left um, awesome. and then uh, I'll be graduated. But, the, you know, my original plan actually was uh, I was actually going to go back to Penn State um, last year and, and be a, a volunteer assistant coach and finish my degree. Uh, in person, um, which would have been which would have been terrific, but uh, complications with COVID and, and not having a ton of access to the team and not looking, you know, what the season was going to look like if there was even going to be one, um, you know, it made sense for me to to stay at home and, and start, uh, you know, start working full time, and um, that's uh, that's where it's at. Yeah, you're talking to two kids here who our senior years were cut short last year too because of COVID, so definitely something that has impacted a lot of college kids, people going back career-wise and all that stuff. But, you know, switching back to the AHL now, you played in Hartford for a little bit. Any memorable teammates that you played with or memorable moments in the AHL? Oh, man, a ton. Like, a lot of a lot of good guys. That's the one thing that, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy about the game is that you meet a lot of great people. Um, you know, but guys like, you know, Neil Pionk and, and Vinny Letary and Matt Bolesky, um you know, those guys, you know, had, had a big influence on me. I still talk to, you know, Gabriel Fontaine and, and John Gilmore and Stephen Fogarty pretty regularly, Booney Evis. Um, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, you may not speak to them for, you know, five or six months, but then, you know, you pick up the phone and catch up and it's, you haven't missed a beat. So looking at your sport agency, you guys put a lot of focus on mental health and sports psychology. Was this something that was a personal thing for you guys, or are you just looking at the grand scheme of things in the NHL, especially with like, you know, Leonard coming out and talking about it, just the importance of being, you know, responsible as an agent for your players' well-being mentally? Right. It wasn't something that we tried to do, I guess, from a marketing perspective or anything. It's just the fact that it's generally – it's needed now. I think a lot of guys are afraid to, to talk about their problems. Um, you know, so the, the first, uh, the first person we had partnered with, uh, was a woman named Melinda Harrison. Um, and her main job is helping retired athletes transition out of hockey. So we felt like, you know, my partner and I are getting a little bit older and, you know, we know some guys that are going to retire soon. So, Melinda's job is then to help them find what's going to be next for them in life. Um, you know, and once we had Melinda on board, you know, we thought about how do we, how do we take the next step with it? So then we, you know, we brought on Jared Spencer, who's a sports psychologist and um, he's terrific. So, 
you know, we have those, we have Jared dealing with, you know, our, our amateur guys and our professional guys dealing with things like, you know, how do I, you know, how do I handle being scratched? How do I handle, you know, not playing a lot? You know, how do I handle being traded? Um, so it just, it made sense to, you know, have those pieces together. And then obviously now it's becoming, you know, more and more in the media. And, um, you know, I think it's just something a little bit different that uh, we have to offer. No, I completely agree. And I was looking online and it's, you know, very successful. I love the website. Really, I watched the video that you guys have up there and it really shows exactly what you two are about, what your program's about. So well done with that. The other thing I wanted to add to was, you know, you transitioned out of hockey and went into this and you just talked about having a path after hockey. Do you realize, do you think that a lot of players after hockey don't really think too much about their future and it's come back to, you know, bite them? And if they had that more, more support there, things would be a lot better. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it's definitely that you don't really – something you don't think about when you're playing because when you're playing, you think that you're going to end up playing 10 or 15 years in the NHL and make millions of dollars. And whether you do or whether you don't, you need to find something after hockey that's going to provide you with a, with a purpose. Um, you know, you can't just go on, on vacation for the next 30 years or whatever it is, um, you know, as nice as that sounds, but uh, – you know, I think I've seen a lot of guys that will retire and, you know, guys that have won Stanley Cups and, you know, they struggle with trying to find something to do after hockey. And, uh, you know, I think this is something that, that we can help with and, and, you know, try to help guys that, uh, you know, are, are going to retire soon. Definitely. And you talk about the evolution of, you know, a player going from playing career to post-playing career, but there's also an evolution while you're playing and the game is continuously evolving. So I just wanted to get, you know, your take on over the course of your career, how has the game changed? I know from a casual fan standpoint, the main focus is fighting, how it's decreasing, kind of actually a little bit of an uptick this year, but just speed-wise, skill-wise, how has the game evolved over the course of your career? I mean, it's definitely been a lot different. Like, I mean, the guys now will will take maybe like maybe three weeks off after the season and, and then they get, you know, they start training again. And, you know, once a handful of guys do that, then everyone has to do it because, you know, those guys are going to be that much better. And when you're talking about, you know, your your job security, your financial security, you have to do, you know, whatever you can to make sure that, uh, you know, you're still looking the check and putting food on your own table. And, and the game has definitely changed. Like it's become, you know, a lot faster and a lot quicker and guys are bigger and stronger now. Um, you know, it... Uh, it's definitely evolved in that sense where, you know, you have guys that are six, two and, and two Oh five, but can skate like the wind. Um, so, you know, you have to, to be prepared as best you can and, um, you know, take it as a, as a year, year round type of job. Yep. Definitely. Before you go stuff. And I just wanted to say that we got Rangers fans who listen to our show who are worried about Kako Lafreniere, you know, all these young players. And I'm trying to say, Hey, listen, there's no preseason, right? There was a 10 day training camp. Do you think that, right the implications of COVID is definitely kind of impacting their performance overall. And somebody that deals with players still in the psychological aspect, is that something that they're going to have to, a barrier they have to overcome that other players didn't that were coming out of a draft class? Yeah, definitely. It's definitely a different experience for those rookies right now. Um, you know, dealing with what they've had to deal with and, you know, quarantining or whatever it is, but, you know, at the same time too, those guys are still so young. Um, you know, when I was 18, 19, and 20, I didn't even have a, a commitment to college. I was 21 years old, still uncommitted and potentially looking at, you know, going to community college and, you know, moving back home. And, you know, within a matter of 16 months, I was talking to my first NHL team. So so development and guys taking that next step can, can happen at any time. I um, mean, you know, just because, a, you know, a rookie isn't stepping into the league and scoring 100 points doesn't mean that he won't do it eventually. He just he's young, right? These are kids. You know, you're talking about teenagers. Um, I'm looking at, you know, the clients that you do have. Are a majority of them younger players trying to make a name for themselves in the NHL or more of the, you know, older players, like you said, getting their last couple of contracts sorted out and then helping them get ready for retirement? Um, a little bit of both. So we have a good, you know, a good mix of guys that, you know, like I said, that we had had played with, um, you know, some guys in the East Coast League that are, are working their way up and, and sticking to it. And then, you know, with the way that the world is now, you, you do have to look a little bit, a little bit younger. So we have some amateur clients that we think that, uh, you know, have the, the opportunity to grow and, and develop into to NHL players. So we have a good mix of both. And 
know, we're always looking to, you know, add and improve our client base and make sure that we're still creating a, a family style approach where it's not like you're talking to your agent when they call us, you know, we want to be able to, to be there for them, whether you want to go play around a golf or, you know, go to a wedding or whatever it's, it's, we're trying to, you know, develop something more than a, just a work relationship. Yeah. To add to that, you know, you talk about that more than just a work relationship, being a former player, knowing, you know, being in the past that these players have been into, do you think the, uh, you know, the relationship that you have for the player is different than just going out and getting a sports agent who's pretty much all about the numbers, getting the deal rather than having a guy that, listen, I know what it's like to be in your shoes. I know what it's like, and I'm really looking out for you. Yeah, I think that's what makes us a little bit different is, you know, between my, my business partner and I, we've had, you know, very highs in our careers and very lows in our careers. And we understand what it's like to, to be traded or to be released or to go through a hard time. And we understand what it's like to, you know, accomplish a goal and then be striving for what's, you know, what's the next step. Um, you know, so it's easy for us to, to kind of relate to the players, you know, and the fact that we're a little bit younger and, uh, that we actually, you know, have played the game recently and, and understand what it's like. So I got to ask a question now that I know you've been in the AHL for a little bit. We were interns at the Binghamton Devils last season, and we got to see a teddy bear toss. And I just wanted to know your take on those, if you've ever been a part of one and how long it takes to actually clean up the ice after all these fans are tossing their teddy bears and stuffed animals onto the rink. Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> funny. I was, I was playing uh, in the USHL, and we had a teddy bear toss game. And uh, I actually scored the goal that, you know, launched all the teddy bears on the ice because that's, what, you know, when you score, the, you throw them on the ice. And um, it's fun to score the goal. And then the next 15 to 20 minutes after getting all the bears off the ice are, are, are very long. And then you're, you know, you're back playing a game again. So it's not, you know, it's obviously for a great cause and it's not yeah. a distraction, but it's just a, it's a little intermission that sometimes you aren't expecting. That's pretty cool, though. I don't know how many people get to say that they scored that goal that, that led to the teddy bear toss. That's awesome. Uh, thanks. Right place, right time. <laughs> <laughs> so about the teammates. Yeah, I mean, I guess you got blamed for the, the long intermission there, the 15, 20 minutes or so. But going back to what you said, you went back to school. What did you go back to finish your degree in exactly? I know, obviously, you're running a business. In finance, is that one of the things that you're solely focused on? Um, no, so we, uh, I'm a, I'm a communications major and we have, you know, a great financial partners with, uh, you know, with our, with our agency. Um, but, uh, I, I'm a communications major and, um, you know, 22 credits away from, from finally graduating and getting to wear a cap and gown for, for the first time. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we didn't, unfortunately, we didn't, yep. <laughs> we didn't get to wear ours and it won't happen anytime soon, but it's all about, you know, getting that degree. And obviously for a player, I feel like, you know, not a lot of players go back and do what you're doing. So it's definitely, you're setting a good example for the young players that, hey, focus on hockey, but when it's hockey's over, it's never too late. You know, one thing that we've heard players say when they decide, oh, we're going to stay in college or go pro is, you know, that chance to go play hockey is not going to come again, but I could always go and finish college. And, and you've certainly done that. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, you know, a really hard choice. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. you know, I probably wish I would have stayed one more year and, you know, I had been another year close to graduation. But, you know, nonetheless, I can't say enough good things about the university. Um, you know, they, they've allowed me a lot of flexibility when it comes to, to take classes and, and finishing my degree. And, um, you know, in that sense, I'm, you know, forever grateful to, to Penn State and, you know, what they've allowed me to do but you know you're right when you've worked your whole life to you know potentially play in the nhl and when you have that opportunity you you know you have to take it um you know so uh, you know it's one of those things that uh you know you, you just you just got to try the last thing for me um before i let brendan finish it off is you know you talk about wanting to go back and be an assistant coach at penn state is coaching something you're thinking about in your future when the world opens up again or are you thinking more of you know, I'm just going to stay and work on this agency stuff. So, yeah, that was the, you know, the interesting thing when I retired, because I, I had a few different avenues that I could have gone down, um, you know, and I like to keep, you know, my doors open. So right now I, I coach a, a 15U AAA hockey team here local, um, you know, and I also run the agency. And, you know, if coaching is in my cards, then that opportunity will present itself. But we're like, I'm definitely banking on, you know, the agency for, a long-term plan and that's my goal that's my passion right now and 
um, you know, I intend on it, you know, being that way, but, but nonetheless, you obviously don't want to uh, close any doors that, that may be you know, open for you. So the last question that I got is I know that we all talk about these off season, you know, signings, free agent signings, trades, all these good things that go on, but being an agent, I'm sure you have more insight on that process. So how like tough is it to get a contract done? What's the negotiation process like, and just how into it do the two sides get? Um, it's very, it's very different based on the client that you have, um, and what they're asking for, right? Like, you know, if you're, if you're a big time guy that's asking for a lot of money, then you might go back and forth. If you look at you know, the Anthony Duclair situation this summer, where he ended up representing himself and, you know, maybe took a little bit less money than he was expecting. And it is what it is. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's just finding, you know, somewhere in the middle where your client's going to be happy. You've listened to him, you, you've, you know, gotten his request and you've put the best possible contract on the table for him, um, you know, and try to get him everything that he wants without, you know, stepping on too many GMs chose. So it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting process and sometimes a, a very long one and, and stressful one, but uh, it's, uh, it's very rewarding at the end of the day when you see your guy, you know, finally sign that contract and you feel, you feel pretty good. Well, thank you, Vince, for joining us. We really do appreciate the time and good luck on your agency and whatever else you have in store in the future. Yeah, thank you guys for having me anytime. Great interview right there. And it was really some good insight on what goes on behind the scenes when it becomes a player agent and a player and agent relationship, I should say. And he's actually kind of a player agent, if you will, but some of the names, my favorite part of that was when he was mentioning the Booney Evans, Neil Pionk, Vinny Letary. And I'm like, wow, all those guys had time up there and Rangers fans were accustomed with those guys. So it's really cool. And I'm sure the stories that he has from playing in Hartford is is awesome. And we, we appreciate the time. No, it was a great interview. Learned a lot too. You know, we don't hear about many sport agencies focusing as much as his agency has on mental health. And obviously we know it's a major issue and kudos to them for getting ahead of, you know, this big issue we've seen around the NHL has it affected a bunch of players where they're, they're, you know, some players don't want to talk about it and that's okay. But if you're an agent for a player, you want to know what's happening inside their head. You want to know what they're thinking about, what they're feeling about situations. It makes it more relatable. And being a player, a former player, he understands the, the hardships that happen during the obstacles that need to be, you know, crossed during the season. But Brendan, in the last eight minutes or so, let's, you know, that's enough time to talk about your Rangers. So let, let's get to it. He's back. Dun, dun, dun. Tomorrow, he's starting in goal. I think that's huge, by the way. Igor Shesterkin is coming back tomorrow. And we actually spoke about this the last time we had a show. We said if Shesterkin comes back and can play the way that he played before his injury and the Rangers can finally put together that offensive-defensive combo, they have the ability to go on a run. And for me, in order for them to make that postseason push, a run is exactly what they're going to have to do. And I actually broke it down by game. They have 25 games remaining, okay? I think they're going to need 38 out of the 50 points to make the playoffs. That's just me. I think 70 points is realistically the goal uh, for them to finish in the top four. So that means going 18-5-2. and two. Now, if you break it down by who they play, they play the Bruins twice. The Bruins are in front of them. Got to beat them twice. Sabres, you play them four more times with how bad they are. You got to beat them four times. Yep. I mean, that's just what it is. The Islanders, they play them five times. That's going to be hard, but you're going to have to try to go three, one, and one against them. I know it's going to be difficult, but you got to try to do it. They play the Flyers four more times. Three and one is what. Yep. That's what I'm saying. Capitals four times. Three wins. Devils five times. Three, one, and one is what I have them going. And the Penguins two times, I have them finishing one and one. If they hold true to all that, that rounds out to 18, five and two. That's your 38 points. And I think you're in the playoffs. But are they going to be able to? That's the hard part. If they somehow mimic what you just wrote down. Oh, I'm I, going right to the casino. I wasn't going to say that. Go to any hockey team and say, hey, I said this. I broke it down. These are my numbers. It worked out. I was a genius. Here's my resume. I'll start tomorrow. <laughs> well, if they break it down like that, that means that they're going to be cooking on all cylinders. And hey. right now they're on a two-game win streak. With, hey. him, with him coming back, you never know. We saw we saw last year when Shesterkin is on his game how lethal he can be between the pipes. Now, it's going to be a team effort for what you just said. Shesterkin can do 
all he can, this record might not happen. No, it's not scoring goals. Mess-ups in their own zone. Johnson's not playing, so you should be okay with that. But, you know, it's going to come down to the team needs to buy into a system. Because right now, what is the what is the Rangers' system? It's offense. But the offense hasn't been there for the majority of the season. So if they can find a way to find an identity, because right now I don't think the Rangers have one. It's Their identity is, well, we hope the offense shows up because the defense has been good. That's been their identity. And when the offense doesn't show up, they lose. Because they lose those close games because they don't come through in those moments that they need to score. So if the Rangers can have Shesterkin back, Continue to show, you know, Zibanejad, put the team on your back this last stretch. You did it last year. You're seemingly hot right now. And Panarin's played well. So you don't need to carry the team by yourself. You got a guy like Panarin to help you. Get your star players, the Rangers' star players, right now, if they want to make the playoffs, have to carry this team. Oh, of course. It's it's not even a question. They have to be the stars. And Zibanejad a superstar in this league? Yeah. Yeah, he he is. It's it's borderline. I think that what he's shown over the last two weeks now that he looks like he's fully healthy, is that, yes, he is. Because we saw last year 41-57, right? That's hard as hell to do. And now all of a sudden he went from having five points. He's now at 20 points in 31 games. I think it is. Yeah, 20 points in 31 games. He's got seven goals and 13 assists. He's got to be at a point per game over his last five or six, probably more at that point. Um, And he just looks like Zibanejad again. And I think the Brendan Dillon goal exemplifies it. He's finally hungry on the puck. He's faster. He's moving and he's shooting the puck and it's going in. And when he's right, every shot he takes seems to go in. And when he's wrong, every shot he takes seems to find a way to not go in. And right now it's going in and he's going to have to continue that. Is Kako two goal game going to promote him? Is Philip Edel going to find his form before he got hurt? He's close, but he's not there yet. Is Stroman Panarin going to keep doing what they're doing together? Can Kreider keep his scoring pace up? He leads the East Division in goals. So if they can collectively mash all that, yes, they have a chance. Do I think they can collectively mash all that? I'm not sure. And the biggest question mark to me is Shesterkin coming back. We know what injury he's coming back from, right? It's a groin pull. Does he have that ability? And the Rangers posted something in practice today where he made a ridiculous glove save on Artemi Panarin that got every Rangers fan salivating at the mouth. And I think if he can start to play like that again, if they go on a seven-game win streak, my mood, which I, I said this, I said five, six, seven-game win streak, seven-game win streak starting right now, by God, I will be the happiest man on earth. But you forgot one thing. And I'm Fox for Norris? No, Quinn's coming back. Oh, man. <laughs> the amount that will come out of my mouth. The amount of foul things. I can't even put it on this show because of how foul it's going to be. <laughs> if he comes back and they go from, boom, straight dumpster fire. Listen, I've said it on record. This is not a Knobloch versus Quinn thing right now, as much as I would like it to be. Okay? They're not firing Quinn for Knobloch, and Knobloch's not really doing everything we think he's doing. But my goodness, what a bad look if they go straight downhill. And if if they start clicking, right, before he gets back – and Kratzov makes this lineup and looks okay, and all of a sudden you got Howden and Lemieux coming back in, and there's and Scratch when Quinn comes back. My lord, you better put that guy into the t-shirt cannon and shoot him out the roof of MSG. We're going to put this out there. So SJ Min says maybe Quinn learned something from this. I think it's just Quinn has to just write stuff down and then talk about it. I think in the moment, Quinn fails. In the moment. You see all the preparation he's doing before the games. He seems to be good at that. Let him keep doing that. Have this guy coach. He's been great. I can't pretend to pronounce his name, but I do want to tell you one thing, Brennan. The not first, block. Not block. Okay. The first game back, I am throwing house on the opponent. I know you are. I know you are. You've told on me On the this. off chance that there is a relation, a correlation between the Rangers playing better and Quinn not coaching, I'm going to take complete advantage of that. If I lose, I lose a beat. But the first game back, the money's on the opponent. Yeah, listen, I understand it. And I, I think that Quinn's biggest thing, I said it early on, in-game adjustments, right? But yeah. what Knobloch has done is Quinn's given it. him a I script. Love, I love that name. It's great. And, and what, what he's done is Quinn's given him a script, and instead of following it and abiding by it, he's kept everything, right? The, you haven't seen these line changes. The only line change he's made is he put Kako on a line instead of Blackwell, switched him around, Kako winds up scoring. It's a good move. And the thing that I really like about him is he's had the majority of these kids already, right? Lafreniere and Kako weren't down there, but Kratzoff, who's coming into the lineup, played in Hartford last season. 
Edel played in Hartford last season. Giuseppe played in Hartford. Lindgren played in Hartford. Sturkin played in Hartford. And they all have good things to say about him. And he has great things to say about them. And there's something there to it, right? There's some type of camaraderie. He's an assistant coach with the Flyers a couple of years ago. (laughs) Well, thank God he's not with the Flyers now because that's a dumpster fire. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Right now it is. It is. Yeah, it's so, an exciting time. It's an exciting time. And like we talked about, there's five games between the Rangers and Islanders. And yeah. based on how the Rangers play before that first meeting, will indicate just how good those games will be. And with fans in attendance, attendance no matter how limited, we're finally going to get to see some actual rivalry games with some chirping, some beer throwing, and some face mask screaming. You're going to a game. I'm going April 15th, Rangers and Devils. Um, Hopefully everything holds true and that winds up coming to fruition, but I'm excited. I'm excited. I got vaccinated, had the coughs during that interview in case you were wondering why I was on mute half the time, but yeah, we're good now. So tomorrow, both the Islanders and Rangers are back in action. Rangers play the Flyers, Islanders play the Bruins. Enjoy those games tomorrow, guys. We'll talk again on Sunday and then we'll see you again next week for the live episode on Wednesday at six. Have a good one, guys. Let's go Islanders. The Back Check is your one-stop shop for NHL news and all things Rangers and Islanders. Thanks for sticking with us for this edition of The Back Check. Follow the show on social media at Back Check Pod.